Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you this night. We ask that you would take this time that we've dedicated to the study of your word. Give us grace and wisdom to learn from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. i got to start writing down announcements. Two other things. Praise the Lord. Uh, my mother had a heart catheterization on Tuesday, and uh, they did not find any problems. And so, praise the Lord, they, they said she just has an infection. Apparently, that's what showed up, and they'll give her some antibiotics. And so, uh, she's doing well. My brother was able to come up from West Virginia, take her down, and then uh, he's already back in West Virginia. Mama's doing very well, so thank you for all that prayed for her. And uh, uh, I praise the Lord. This is the first service in a long time, I've not had a pocket full of cough drops just to make it through the service. So hopefully the voice is coming back and it'll be its good old unpleasant self. But uh, we'll just uh, continue on. Amen. Let's get our Bibles and we're just going to keep uh, trudging through the Gospels. Um, we are going to, uh, of course, not touch on everything, but let's go to... Uh, John chapter 3, John chapter 3, and this, of course, is the story of Nicodemus. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the first of three Passovers that will be his earthly ministry, and he is explaining uh, things, and we come uh, to Nicodemus, and Jesus uh, we, we might as well just pick up in verse 14. As Moses lifted up uh, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, oh, let's get back to verse 13. Verse 13, uh, John chapter 3, everybody goes right to verse 16. But look what Jesus is saying here. And no man hath ascended up to heaven... But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, now just read that next phrase there, which is, what's that next word? In heaven, present tense. This is Jesus explaining who he is to those who will listen. He said, no man's ascended except he which de descended, even the Son of Man, which Jesus called himself, which is, present tense, in heaven. Only God can be in two places at the same time. Now, I know a lot of people think that they can be in two places at the same time and all this kind of stuff. And how many of you multitask, try to do two things at the same time? I have found multitasking is a wonderful excuse for doing two things lousy at the same time. Amen? Uh, if you really want something done, you really want it done right, uh, try to single task. Amen? Uh, put your full attention uh, in one thing. But Jesus said, I'm in heaven while I'm standing here on earth. And so don't... Um, when you read your Bible, read it carefully. We, Jesus now gives this testimony here, and he uh, 
Well, let's just read it. Verse 14, we'll pick up there. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, is there anybody that's got a problem understanding what Jesus is talking about in that verse right there? He's talking about his coming crucifixion, is he not? As as the um, serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, why did Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness? Because the people had been bitten with snakes and they were dying. Whoso looked on the serpent that Moses made believed. I mean lived. And those that look upon Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen again live. Amen. Jesus knew what was going to happen at the very beginning He made no bones about it. He explained these things and put them in there that whosoever believeth in him, verse 15, should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son in the world to condemn the world, but the world... That, that, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten of God. Now, there is what salvation is and what salvation isn't. Is there one drop of water in that passage I just read? But how come all these religions believe that you have to be baptized either as a baby or as an adult in water to be saved? Where did that come from? It did not come from Jesus. It came from the imagination of men. People are all the time adding to the word of God. Remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I mean, he has, he did not change his message. It's very simple. It was straightforward right from the beginning. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in the chapter, what did he say? Except a man be born again. I I want you to understand they're the same thing. Being born again and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ Now, here's the problem we have, is today we have people who want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and their church, or on the Lord Jesus Christ and their good works, or on the Lord Jesus Christ and their baptism, and we could go on all night about the and that's in there. Uh, The best illustration that I've ever uh, heard or, or used that I know of, how many of you have seen a person walk on a tightrope. Isn't that pretty cool? Somebody gets up there and they walk on that tightrope. How many of you have seen more than one person on the same rope? That happens pretty regular. How many of you have ever seen one person on two ropes? Yeah, one one tightrope walker, but instead of walking on one rope, he's walking on two separate ropes. Has anybody ever seen that? I've never heard of it happening. You want me to tell you why? Because you can't do it. 
your mind doesn't work that way. Now, you could step from one rope to the other, yeah, but you can't walk on two ropes at the same time. I mean, remember that guy that just went over Niagara Falls a little while back? I mean, that thing was swinging and swaying and moving up and down and covered with mist from the water, and he got all the way across. He had a microphone strapped. Somebody said he was praying the whole way across. Um, Walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope is crazy. I'd pray too, amen? Uh, I'd pray for him. I don't want anybody to fall off the tightrope. It's crazy. But here's the thing. God made the human being to trust singly, not in a multiplicity of things. And yet the wisdom of our day teaches that you have to trust in a multiplicity of things. You know, I want to challenge you. You have to go to school and become educated to be that stupid. Sorry, stupid is a crude word, I know, but it better describes the situation than anything else. You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. You can't do anything else. Jesus started with this message. In a few minutes, John the Baptist is going to echo this message. Why? Oh, of course, Jesus sat him down and said, Now, John, you're the forerunner. You're supposed to tell people who I am, but this is the message you're supposed to preach. How many of you believe that happened? Good, I'm in a real church. John had his message from God. Amen? John's message and Jesus' messages were the same, not because there was collusion between John the Baptist and Jesus, but because their message had the same source, the person of God. It was his message. And if we'll remember that little truth, that's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they don't disagree. They agree. They're telling the same story. Now, if you want them to disagree... You can go in and try to change dates and words and, and mix things up. and I mean, you can make the Bible say anything you want. All you need is a pair of scissors, amen? Or a good, uh, 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 properly theological train, theologically trained person. They can go through and make the Bible say whatever they want, kind of like accountants. What do you want it to equal? I'll make it work out. Uh, that's not true accounting and neither is making the Bible contradict itself true understanding. But Jesus is, finishing, is giving this testimony here and in verse 21 he says, But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought of God. Do you know why you come to church? So you can measure your life with what's in the book. Amen? Guess what? You're going to come up short, aren't you? Right? But we have the Spirit of God that lives within us that keeps us coming back. That's the difference. You know, 
there's this struggle that every one of us have to struggle with. If you're not struggling, it's because you're surrendering to the wrong side. If you're struggling, guess what you're going to do? You're going to fail some because you're a human being. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in your heart is you keep coming back. This is Jesus' first message. It's still the message we need to preach today. We got to keep coming back to the Savior. Have you ever met a perfect Christian? Nope. Are you ever going to meet one? Oh, once we get to heaven, yeah. But I mean, here on this earth? No. We're not going to do it. So what is our purpose? Our purpose is to struggle together to be as obedient as is humanly possible by God's grace under the influence of the Spirit of God till Jesus comes and takes us out of here. Don't get discouraged. Keep struggling. Keep on the right path. Amen? And so... Here's what Jesus is teaching, and then we come here to verse 23, and, um, uh, well, let's just read 22 too. I, I, I wish we could read every verse here. And these things came, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in an ain near, uh, uh, near to, um, there's something missing in my uh, that letter. Is that an I-S-A-L-I-M? Okay. Uh, that's the first time I noticed that. There's a blank spot there in my Bible page. Because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. Now, here we have John. He was the man sent from God. He had given testimony to the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, I'm not the Christ. I've come baptizing that I may reveal him. Jesus comes. He gets baptized by John. He is revealed by the voice from heaven, God the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending in the semblance of a dove. And, of course, Jesus is already there. We have the Trinity of God physically present in one place. Wow. That proves that Jesus was who John said he was. Amen? John says to two of his disciples, after this happens, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and what do they do? So long, John, if that's the Lamb of God, we're following him. John got all upset, didn't he? No. He knew what his duty was. And so what was he doing after this? He just kept right on baptizing. He kept right on preaching the same message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I like John. He just kept doing what he was told to do. After he had finished his course, basically, he had manifested or showed forth 
who the Messiah was and had publicly identified him, what did John do? He kept doing what he was supposed to do. There's a great life lesson there. You know, sometimes we get in trouble because we stop doing what we're supposed to do. If God hasn't given you anything new to do, keep doing the old. Since he hasn't given you a new Bible to read and extra biblical revelation, keep reading the old one. Amen? He's not given any new organization or any new methods, so we're just going to stick with the local church. We're just going to do it God's way. And John was there baptizing, and as John was working, look in verse 25, there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Is there a clearer testimony who Jesus, who John believed Jesus was than right there? He said, I am sent before the Christ. Now we keep going on. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from the heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, here's John's testimony. It's interesting. John's disciples get into an argument with the disciples of the Pharisees on purifying. How is a man made clean? Well, the Pharisees believe that you had to wash your hands and your feet when you came in from the market and you had to wash your plates and you had to... Uh, uh, and, and they had all kinds of regulations about how many baths you had to take and all of these things. And so they were trying to draw John's disciples into saying that what you're doing is just another one of our traditions. And as they were arguing back and forth, apparently John the Baptist was there, and they said, well, what about this guy named Jesus? He said, you witnessed to him, 
You told us that he was the one that should come. And now he's baptizing just like you were. And he's got a bigger following than you do. What are you going to do about that? And what did John say? He must increase. I must decrease. And yet when he finishes this, John sets the parameters of salvation at the same place Jesus set them. If you believe on the Son, you have eternal life. If you believe not, you are condemned already. The wrath of God abideth on him. I'll tell you, people think, well, one of these days I'm going to get in trouble if I don't do right. No, you're in trouble. If you're not saved, you're in trouble. It's already there. What you need to do to get out of trouble is get saved. Somebody wrote a track years ago, what you need to do to go to hell. You opened it up and the track was blank. Well, that was pretty true. Because you don't need to do anything to go to hell. You've already sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're on your way. If you want to get off the way to hell, you've got to believe on Jesus Christ. And people, of course, argue, how can uh, that be the only way of salvation? What do you do about people, this and this, and they go on and on. I, I can't answer all those questions, nor do I ever intend to. What I do know is what the Bible says. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. No, the great spirit does not qualify. Uh, some being bigger than you. Uh, I'm willing to, uh, what, is they, what do they tell you in AA? I'm willing to recognize my higher power. Uh, that won't get you saved. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And John's message is not is the same as Jesus' message just because the Apostle John wrote it down. He was recording their words. Their messages were the same because their messages had the same source. And so we come here to the end of chapter 3, I mean beginning of chapter 4, and what we're going to find is we'll go back to the book of Luke now, and Luke chapter 3, just a few verses here. We're, um, where are we here? 19 and 20. It says, But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now somewhere in this first few months, uh, of Jesus' ministry. John had been baptizing for a period of time. Jesus shows up. John continues baptizing for uh, uh, another, uh, we don't know, uh, a short period of time there. From John's first baptism to the time he was shut up in prison was most definitely less than a year, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of about six months' time. How would you like for your entire life to be counted for six months? John was in the wilderness as a little boy. 
eating grasshoppers and wild honey, locusts and wild honey. He shows himself to Israel. He begins to preach, baptize, and in six months he's thrown in prison. End of ministry. And yet, what did John say? He said, He that hath the bridegroom is a bride. This is my joy fulfilled. Now, yes, some of you may be thinking ahead, but John sent to Jesus questioning, well, you might question too if you got stuck in jail for 12, 16 months just sitting there with nothing to do and and you didn't hear that Jesus had taken over the kingdom yet and set up all of these things. John didn't understand that Jesus came to suffer. And so, uh, I'm not going to worship John the Baptist. Every once in a while, I'll see St. John the Baptist, Roman Catholic Church. There's just something wrong with that. I'm sorry. Uh, but John uh, the Baptist gave his testimony. Then he was put in prison. About that time, Jesus is returning now to Galilee, and you can check your references that are in here, but let's just go back to John chapter 4. And it's interesting, as we go through this, John is going to skip a lot of information, but on certain little passages, he's going to give us all the details. This is one of those times. uh, The story of Nicodemus was another one. None of the other Gospels record this, but as Jesus was on his way back to Galilee after his first Passover, it says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now love verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. Jesus had an appointment. Remember, this again is the beginning of his ministry. This is not years into it. He is going to make the statement that he was sent to the house of Israel. But he takes time. As we'll find out in a little while, he heals the centurion servant. He... uh, And he takes time to witness to the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, if you could pick an unlikely candidate for salvation. I mean, let's just take a moment here and examine the facts. And and you read the story to get all the details. But uh, this woman was apparently part of the... um, Uh, If she were alive today, she would be part of the Hollywood jet set. She'd had five husbands. Uh, That almost qualifies you to be a movie star. Uh, And the fact that the one she had now wasn't, I mean, that just, she's just right in there with the Hollywood crowd. Uh, But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, this was not a righteous person. Somebody had gone through and studied all the... uh, um, 
what do they call that, the ceremonies and, and traditions of the day and, and the culture and all of that and said she'd come to get the water at the well at noon because she was such an object of gossip and ridicule that she couldn't stand to go get the water at the normal time, which would have been at the end of the day. And so she, would, she was going to the well when she knew or thought there probably wouldn't be anybody there. But here was Jesus. He knew she was going to be there. And what did Jesus do? He brought up the issue of sin. Said, you got a lot of it. Brought up the issue of religion. And said, your religion is worthless. He said, we worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. Do you know how offensive that could be to a Samaritan? Well, Jesus wasn't concerned about offending her. He was concerned about saving her soul. Amen? Now, let's be careful. We don't need to be needlessly offensive. Somebody asked me, what do you think about a sermon? The Pope is a dope. Well, I'll probably never preach that sermon, all right? Uh, I know a preacher that has, uh, but I'm not going to do that. But the simple truth of the matter is Jesus told her the way things were. And what did she do? She responded. You know what? If somebody's going to get saved, I found this out. If you give me enough time, I could talk almost anybody into a verbal profession of faith. But that's not salvation. Well, you know what I found? If the Holy Spirit's working in somebody's heart, I can't talk them out of getting saved. They just have to. You know why? Because God is doing the work. Let's make sure we're not doing the work. Let's make sure that God is doing the work of saving souls. This is the story of the woman at the well, and and we're going to try to keep moving so that we can work our way through the story uh, of of the book. In Jesus, in verse 43, he abode there two days. Then he went into Galilee, and when Jesus returns, we're point point F here. Uh, Jesus returns to Cana of Galilee, and we have the healing of the nobleman's son. And we'll just stay right here in the book of John, and it says in uh, verse 46... So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. And the nobleman saith, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Now look at verse 52. 
Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. That's about one o'clock in the afternoon. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. He really didn't believe until he qualified the miracle. And that's that. But that's what the text tells us. This again, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. And so we have the miracle that was there. And now let's go to uh, Luke chapter 4. And we're going to pick up the narration here. Now in verse 14, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went a fame of him. He is now going to go from there down into Jerusalem. All the events of Nicodemus. He's on his way back uh, after the Passover. And verse 16, and he came to Nazareth when he, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now Jesus found a prophecy that talked about him, and he read it in a synagogue. Now here was the response. And he closed the book, verse 20, and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them were in the synagogue were fastened, on him, And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto him, Ye shall, will surely say unto me, This proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias or Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And now we have rejection. They, they, picked Jesus, they tried to pick Jesus up and carry him to the edge of the hill on which the city of Nazareth, they tried to kill him over these things. Now, you and I, we just don't understand this kind of mob violence. I'm glad we don't here in the United States to a certain degree. We've certainly heard it witnessed and and things uh, all over the world. Uh, But 
Jesus just passed through the midst of them and kept right on going. We are going to see that Jesus did miracles. And though people knew he did the miracles and even saw the miracles happen, there's no guarantee that they would believe on Jesus. That's why salvation is an issue of faith, my friend. It is always faith. I cannot prove to you that Jesus is the Christ if you don't want to believe it. If you will open your heart to what the Bible says, you can't deny the fact. But if you've already decided that something else is true, no one can convince you even though they saw the miracles happen. Somebody says, well, what do I do with a family member who doesn't believe? Just keep giving them the word. Just keep giving them the word. Quote scripture. Give them Bible verses. That is the only thing that works. That's what Jesus did. That's what we must do. And so Jesus is rejected there in Nazareth. He then moves to Capernaum and the references are there. Uh, Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 22. And here Jesus comes along and he calls uh, his first disciples formally. Uh, Verse 18, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter. Now why was he Simon called Peter? Because Jesus had already met Andrew and Simon called Peter and he'd already given Peter his new name. And he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed them. Now, in a few minutes, if we have time, which I believe we will, uh, we're going to find that Jesus ended up calling these disciples a couple of times. Andrew had already said, I'm going to follow you. Where do you live? I'm staying with you. We find him here. He's fishing. We're going to get to Luke chapter 5 in a few moments. And what are they going to be doing? They're going to be fishing again. They didn't quite get the message. So Jesus repeated it to them. And we're just following the order of the scriptures here. And Jesus teaches in the synagogues in Capernaum. And here is the first demon-possessed man. Jesus commands the demon to leave. And all of a sudden, everybody's saying, wow, what's going on here? Let's just look for a moment here in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And it says, And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice. Look at verse 32, I'm sorry. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. There was something different about Jesus' teaching and what had been going on in the synagogue. Then this unclean spirit cries out, Jesus cast out the demon. 
And verse 36, And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went into every place of the country round about. And so we have people following Jesus. And here we get into one of the famous stories. Uh, we'll just stay in Luke chapter 4. But this story is also recorded in Mark chapter 1. So as you read the stories, if you just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in their entirety, we've had eight lessons that we have taught on following the order of events in the book, uh, in the gospel message, and we're still in Mark chapter 1. We're in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, John chapter uh, uh, 4. We're toward the end of John chapter 4. They don't always follow the same rate. But I always like to ask this question to Peter, people who wonder, how in the world was Peter the first pope if he had a mother-in-law? You know, I like my mother-in-law. But I wouldn't like her as much if I didn't have my wife. Amen. Uh, mother-in-laws are wonderful people, but they, they're an awful lot better when they come attached to a wife. Amen. And, and so Peter had a wife. He was married. It was not what the revisionists have gone through and tried to rewrite history to match tradition. Peter was an ordinary Jewish man who did the ordinary things that people do. He got married. He was providing for his family. He was in the fishing business. He had apparently been successful enough that he has employed his younger brother Andrew and James and John and their family as well. Uh, we're all involved in this concern. But Peter's mother-in-law was sick. He healed her. The Bible tells us she ministered to them. She got up and fixed him dinner. Well, you know what? It doesn't take long in a little town for the word to get out that something miraculous happened. And by the time the sun is setting, everybody and their brother is at the steps of Peter's house wanting to get healed just like his mother-in-law had been. And so Jesus healed them all. If we take earthly understanding, the best thing that could have happened was Jesus rent a building somewhere and set up church right there. Wouldn't that have been great? How many of you know what happens next? He gets up a great while before day. Disciples said, everybody's looking for you. Jesus said, that's too bad. Because what we've done here, we've got to do other places. And he begins traveling throughout Galilee. He preaches in the synagogues. And as people hear him, the crowds get to the point to where Jesus can no longer enter a synagogue and teach. He has great multitudes of people following him. And yet, he's only called four of his disciples at this point. And this is a thing that's taking uh, time and uh, a period of months. And we go to Luke chapter 5 here. Luke chapter 4 just simply says, 
and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. And it came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. So apparently, they had followed him for part of this journey around Galilee, but came back and were fishing again. Jesus got in Peter's boat, said, push out just a few feet so the people can stand on the shore and I can teach them. And then the famous story of Peter cast out in the deep and put down your nets for a draught. Peter said, we've been fishing all night and didn't catch a thing. But Lord, since you're such a nice guy, I'll let down one net just, just because you say so. The net begin to break. They fill up Peter's ship. He screams for James and John to bring their ship out, and they fill both ships up so that they begin to sink. They bring them to land, and what do they do with them? They forsake all and follow Christ. But what of their families? Well, guess what? Jesus just paid the rent for the next six months. Amen? Uh, They had the biggest catch that they had ever had. Things were going to be taken care of. But somebody had to go clean all them fish. How many of you have ever cleaned fish? A lot of fun. As long as you got a good sharp knife and know what you're doing. If you don't, oh, it's in a mess. And, uh, but, I imagine Zebedee, had a few hired servants, one of the other passages tell us. Jesus provided for their families, and they followed him. Am I stretching anything here? Don't think so. Then, as far as we know, sometime as Jesus was traveling through Galilee preaching, we have what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you want to know more about the Sermon on the Mount, we have 18 months of messages. I believe they're all on the website, aren't they? Okay, if you Okay, if you want the Sermon on the Mount, see Peter and he'll get you. It took us a year and a half to go through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're not going to do that this time around, all right? Uh, We're just going to say that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. And in the book of Luke, you'll see the Sermon on the Plain. And it's interesting, I was reading in one of the harmonies of the Gospels. Well, the Sermon on the Plain was talking about a flat place on the mountain where Jesus taught. No, it happened at a different time, a different place. But why wouldn't Jesus repeat the message of the Sermon on the Mount? Because what he was doing was setting the standards of righteousness for believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be repeated. Everything that's in the Sermon on the Mount is going to be repeated often in the messages and in teachings of the Lord. And there are those that want to go through our Bible and clip the Sermon on the Mount out and say it only applies to the kingdom. Uh, I'm not one of those that wants to do that. 
I believe that we need to pay attention to those Beatitudes right now. Amen? Uh, I don't think I'm going to be poor in spirit when I get to heaven. Amen? Because I'll be filled with His Spirit. The Bible tells me I'm not going to be mourning because He's going to wipe all the tears away. So that tells me I better get busy doing those things right here and right now. All God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. and Lord, I pray that as we journey through the story of the Gospels, that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to apply the Scriptures to our individual lives and our individual needs. And Lord, that we would see how simple and how full the picture and the flow of the four stories are when we simply study them together, that we do not need to succumb to what man says, but we can just believe your word. We ask you to guide and direct us in this study. And most of all, Lord, we pray that each one in this room will understand and will believe on the name of the Son of God that they might be saved. In your name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If you need to come and spend some time in prayer, the altar.